Welcome to Friendship with God. I'm David Cantor, and today my father, Tom Cantor, will explain the importance of being converted as a little child. Today's message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Father, we come to you this morning. We have a problem of being so easily distracted. Lord, we're distracted by cares, we're distracted by worries, we're distracted by what we forgot to do, what we have to do. All these things, Lord, they turn us away from you. And so we pray this morning, help. Help, Lord, us to arrest those thoughts and to take them away from trespassing now on the ground of our hearts, which we give to you this morning. Turn our eyes on Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Now, here we come to Genesis chapter 1, as if you didn't remember. And uh, turn there to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Okay, so I read two verses just to give you an impression we may go farther than verse 1 this morning, but don't count it. Now, for the last two weeks... We have started the study with a very important verse. And that verse is telling us that we as believers, it's so important for us, this verse, because it says no one can enter the kingdom of heaven without two changes happening. You remember? The verse says, except ye be what? The first change that has to happen for anybody to go to heaven is they have to be what this verse calls what? Matthew 18, 3. Converted. It's like being born again. Don't feel bad if you said born again. Because you have to be converted. Converted from what? Converted from my life was oriented towards sin. And now my life has been converted to be oriented around the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the verse says that we have to become as little children. Become as little children. Little children. Childlike. Now, this verse we already is so very important. And there's a word in Genesis 1-1 that is like a childlike word. And what's that word? Anybody remember? Yeah, that's right. It's heaven. And why is heaven like a childlike uh, word? Yeah, because it means, it means literally sham over there, mayim, water. Water over there. So you're a little kid and you, you walk outside and you say, where does water come from? Up there. <laughs> so that's, that's heaven. Water over there. All right. So that's a very complicated description. Anyway, so that's, that's what it means. And that's a clue for us when we come to Genesis 1-1 that we are to approach God as little children. Why? Because he says so. And he says also in James, he says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So that's important. Now, we also looked at last week in the beginning, should generate within us a certain holy anxiety and anxiety. Why? Because there's going to be an end. This is a beginning. There's going to be an end. There's going to be an end to this world we call our home. It's our temporary home. So don't get attached to it. It's going. Everything going to have an end. Everyone's going to have an end as far as their stay on earth is concerned. The lost are going to have an end as far as the stay on earth is concerned. The saved are going to have an end as far as, their, their, as, far as, as far as their stay on earth is concerned. This was so very important. God spoke to the Jewish people about this, about the importance of this. And I want you to turn to it. It's Deuteronomy 32, 29. Oh, he says, oh, that they were wise, that they understood this. 
that they would consider their latter end. It's a very important verse. It starts with a very important word. If you, the, the New Yiddish Standard Bible <laughs> translates this verse, oi, oi, which is short for oi vey. And oi vey is the woe. Oh, woe. The woe. We say woe. And the pain of it all. In other words, when you say that, oy vey, you say, oh, the pain of it all, the grief of it all, the terrible distress of it all. God's saying that there is, there is, it's, this is horrible about my people. He said, oh, he says, there's a lack of wisdom among my people. If they were only wise, God says, a very, for me, it's a very, very painful thought. God's saying that. So according to the verse, what makes a person wise? According to the verse. Yeah, consider your latter end. Two verbs in, uh, it, well, maybe three. Anyway, two verbs in verse 29. What are the two verbs? Understand and consider. God's saying, you know what's a good thing? It's a good thing to take a walk through a cemetery. That's a good thing. Walk through the cemetery. Why? Because walking through the cemetery causes you to consider your latter end. That's a good thing. Because everyone, God says, I want you to understand that there is a latter end. And the latter end is not the end, so to speak. Because the people, everybody wakes up after death. Everybody wakes up after death. He wake up after death. You know, everybody hopes that they have that candle, the normal candle that when they blow it out, it's gone. But they don't have that kind of candle. You, have, you ever seen that kind of candle? You blow it out, it comes back, you know? Yep. Yeah, that, that's the kind of candle we have for our life. Looks like it's gone out, comes back again. Wakes up. Everybody has it. We wake up either in the happiness of heaven or wake up in the flames and the suffering and the pain of hell forever. And God says, I wish you would just understand this truth and consider it. Where will it be, God's saying to everybody? Where will it be? Will it be in heaven or hell? Everybody, there's no such thing as annihilation. That was popular some decades ago. That's not true. God wants everyone to consider what road you're on. Because it's either, and and he says, you know, I remember one time I was in a crowded elevator with Pastor Jim. I don't remember where we were going, but anyways, we're in this elevator. And the elevator door shuts and Jim begins to speak to the whole group. <laughs> and he said, I was really surprised. He says, you know, will your last trip be up or down? <laughs> he did. He said that. We're all in shock. <laughs> Why did he ask that question? Because he wanted to make the people in that elevator wise by getting them to understand and consider what will be their latter end. So I thought, that's pretty good. So, so then I, so I went home and I made a little card, a little card with a large road on it, a little side road going off to the, off to the side, a lot of people on the road, the big road, a few people on the small road. I made those little cards, a little verse. These cards look like that. Big road, lots of people, small road, few people. And then at the top, the verse, Enter ye in at the straight gate. Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many, see them? There be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, narrow, narrow. 
is the way which leads to life. Few, see, few people. There be that find that. So I thought, so then, then I do, so I, I set this down, card down, in front of the unfortunate person who gets to sit next to me on the airplane <laughs> <coughs> with a pen. And I said, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ says that there is a very wide road that leads to hell. Many, many people on it. And then he says there's a very, very narrow road, very narrow road that leads to heaven with just a few people on it. So I said, could you please take this pen? You give him a pen. And I said, just mark on this card where you think you are on this road. Just put a little mark where you think you are. Why do I do that? Same reason Pastor Jim asked that question. To get people to understand and consider their latter end. Everybody wakes up after death. You know, my grandfather was an Orthodox rabbi, Rabbi Louis Cantor. In 1908, he came from Vilnius, Lithuania, to Petersburg, Virginia, 25 miles from Richmond, the capital of the Confederacy. No one ever understood why Rabbi Cantor decided to go to Petersburg, Virginia. It's very, not exactly a large Jewish, it's not Brooklyn, but he did. And in 1908, he established uh, what today is still the only synagogue in Petersburg, Virginia. That's what he did. And he was not only the rabbi for the synagogue, he was also the cantor. I mean, with a name like Cantor, who else would apply for the job, right? <laughs> and he was not only that, but he was the only moil in the town who performed circumcisions, which means he had a very sharp knife. And he was also the only... Shochet, which was the one who inspected and slaughtered and bled out the chickens. And so, which means he had another very sharp knife. So, a few years ago, my son David, he uh, decided to go to Petersburg and did some investigation and found out some of the people in the congregation who were still alive who remembered my grandfather. And then he says, you know, here here they are, here's the numbers and all. And then he, he said, no. And so then I said, okay, I'll go. So I went there and and uh, to speak with them. And I met, at that time, a lady named Lois. Lois. And I remember sitting in the parlor of Lois's, just her and me, sitting in the parlor of her, her, her proper southern red brick house. And <clears throat> we were sitting there, and there was a walkway that was leading up to the house. And we were sitting by the large parlor front window. And in the course of the conversation, I told Lois that I was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. When I said that, she just paused. And she turned her face, just looked out, like she was in a dream world, on this parlor window at the walkway. And she says with this southern accent, she says, I can see your granddaddy walking up that lane. says that. <laughs> and then she pauses And she turns to me, and she looks right at me, and she's got steel-cold eyes. And she said, and if your granddaddy was here, he would murder you. (laughs) I distinctly remember she did not say kill you. She said, murder you. And you know, it was sort of strange at that moment. I was actually glad my grandfather wasn't there walking up that walkway then. But my grandfather was, also, was actually a, a friend of the Catholic priest in Petersburg. So when my grandfather was at home dying, 
Yeah, picture this scene now. The, um, he's in the bedroom. He's in his bed. And there's a group of men from the synagogue. And they're around there, very somber, very sad. And there was a knock at the door. So my grandmother goes to answer it. And there stands his friend, the Catholic priest. And he says to my grandmother that he wants to come in. And, 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 and sprinkle my grandfather with holy water and administer last rites to him. So, so she, she comes back into the bedroom where the men are all gathered around, and she tells him, your friend, the Catholic priest, is at the door. He wants, wants to come in and sprinkle you with holy water and administer last rites. Well, everyone in the room is shocked, as you can imagine, right? I mean, here lies their rabbi, you know, he's, a, I mean, he's the head of their temple, their spiritual leader. And outside is this super goy, right? the, the Catholic priest, the church that was behind the Inquisition and the Crusades, which, uh, which, which killed a lot of Jews. And so he's asking if he can come in and perform some Roman Catholic rituals on the rabbi. And so everyone is ready to send the priest away, but it's the rabbi's decision. So they look at my grandfather for his response, and he says to the shock of everyone, sure, send him in. (laughs) Have him come in. And so the, the, the rabbi looks at the men, and they're all just dismayed and shocked, and, and, and he says, he says, he answers them. They don't even ask the question. They answer him and says, what? He says, when you're dead, you're dead. Because when you're dead, you're dead. In other words, it doesn't matter. Because when you're dead, you're dead. You cease to exist. You know, the Bible does not say that when you're dead, you're dead. You know what the Bible says? When dead, you're not dead. That's what the Bible says. When you're dead, you're not dead. You continue. If, you're lo- if a person is lost, then... They wake up. Tom, that was an incredible thought about taking a walk through a cemetery to consider our life and our latter end. Recently, I took a walk in a cemetery off Ocean Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, the largest Jewish cemetery in America with tens of thousands of graves. Now, you've been diagnosed with terminal cancer. How did that impact you and your mortality? Yeah, you know, it's a very, very interesting concept because you always think when you consider death that it's going to happen to the other person. You go to someone else's funeral. You never think that it's going to get close to you. You always think that, well, you're just going to somehow avoid. And so I remember when the, when the doctor said it looks like cancer and then as things began to progress with the more diagnosis and the more sure and the, the biopsy and all the clinical stuff started to roll in, it came out that it's cancer and that it's an incurable cancer. It's a treatable cancer, but it's an incurable cancer and it's called non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. First of all, you don't hear anything. You just you're you're kind of uh, wondering about it all and what it means, and uh, you know simple things like you know did you remember to take the trash out because you you may not have till next week. And, I mean, all these silly things start to happen to you, and you finally sort of come down a little bit. And the first thought that came to me was not really fear, and I guess I was sort of amazed at the fact that there was no fear of death. 
And it uh, and what it showed me was that all that I had had believed and come to know about the Lord Jesus Christ suddenly became in a very real way more real. And the terms such as everlasting life became sort of less theoretical and more practical. But also the terms such as hell also became more real, not for myself, but I was thinking about my friends and the people that I know. And so the truth is, what was said today was the latter end is not the end. That's the truth. That's on the based, not on what I want, not on what I wish, but based on the authority of the word of God, on the Bible, on God himself, on Elohim. He's the one who said that. And he said that in many places in his scripture. And Daniel perhaps really hit the nail on the head. On the 12th chapter of Daniel, he said this, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so as you look at that verse and you grab a hold of it and you begin to realize that everybody is falling into one of the two categories that Daniel is referring to. He's referring to an everlasting life as one category and of shame and everlasting contempt as another category. And everybody is going to be in one of those two categories at the end of this life, at the end of their lives. And so he says, many that sleep in the, in the dust of the earth shall awake. So he uses, he says, death is going to be asleep, but there's going to be an awakening. And he says, the awakening is going to happen to all. And some are going to awake to become very, very happy and what he calls everlasting life. And then he says, on the other hand, are going to wake up to be ashamed and to be in a state of everlasting contempt. When when you're held in contempt, the question becomes, who is holding the person in contempt? God is holding the person in contempt. Why? Because they despised his son, Abba, Elohim, knows who has despised Bain, Elohim. God the Father knows who has despised God the Son. And at the end of life, if a person dies despising and rejecting God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, then it says that God the Father is going to hold him in everlasting contempt to be in a state of never getting out of, everlasting, forever, with no end, contempt, contempt by God. That's what hell is. And it's described not only as that place, but it's described as a place where people are ashamed because all the worst things of their lives comes back to the fore. Everything comes up in front of their eyes. Everything that they very successfully, some have very successfully pushed to the back of their minds and said, I can't see it. I can't remember it. It doesn't exist. Well, it all comes out and forward now. It all comes out in front and it's called shame. It's called shame because it wasn't dealt with. And it's such a tragedy. No one should have to die like that. It's a catastrophe. It's a disaster. Why? Because it didn't have to happen. It didn't have to happen at all. Why not? Because God so loved the world that he gave. 
He gave Ben Elohim. He gave his son, his only begotten son, so that whoever just believes, just like we talked about the becoming as a little child, just as confident, just believes, doesn't go get a PhD in theology, doesn't go win theological arguments, but just believes like a little child, has everlasting life. Those are the words here from Daniel 12, everlasting life. And so God says that everybody's going to sleep and some are going to wake up to everlasting life and some are going to wake up to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, in my own personal case, when they said, Okay, you have cancer. It's not curable. So that means that your your end is is pretty well in sight. Don't know exactly when it's going to happen. Try to make it as as long as possible, but nevertheless, you're in a state called remission. I'm in a state called remission right now. So I realize that, and the thought that comes to me is not fear of hell. Why? Because of the confidence that I have in the effect of the cross. When the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah, died on that cross, he did a work. He wasn't a victim. He wasn't, he, he wasn't a martyr, but he was a willing sacrifice. And he did this work on the cross. What did he do on the cross? He bought something. What did he buy? Everlasting life. For who? For everyone that would believe on him. And just as sure as he is who he claimed to be, God, the Son, become a man to be a sacrifice, just as that's true, so what he accomplished will come to pass. He bought everlasting life. It's everlasting life that he purchased, and then he gives it as a free gift to everybody that believes on him. And so what he's saying, so what came to my mind so consciously was the reality of it all. It's true. It's really true. I think when I was diagnosed with cancer, it was very much like I died and woke and my and I opened my eyes and I could see it so clearly. I could see heaven. I could see everlasting life. I could also see hell and I could see everlasting contempt. It brought a reality to it. It brought a presence to it all. And so what it brought for me was a was a passion to to do all that I can, everything that I can, especially for my Jewish people, so that they should not die and go into that place of everlasting contempt and shame called hell, but that they should go to a place of everlasting life, that they should not believe the lie. What's the lie? The lie is that if you do enough good works that you'll earn your way into heaven and you'll, 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 you'll deserve everlasting life. God says, as far as those words go, earn, deserve, he says, forget about it. Throw it out. There's no such thing as earning heaven. There's no such thing as deserving because he says, it's all a gift. It was at a very, very high price, but you didn't pay for it. That's a very good thing from a Jewish perspective. You got it. You didn't pay for it. It was a gift. It was a gift from God. And so he says, here's the gift. It's called everlasting life. The price, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, what's called in the Hebrew, the Say Elohim, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. He bought it, and now we all we do is just receive it. So for me, I, I think uh, if I can put it this way, it put more fuel in the fire, it put more steam in the engine, it put more, because the reality 
is that of, of, of impending mortality became very, very real. You know, we're all going to die. This is what my son said to me. So, such a good comforter my son is. He came to me on my first day of chemo for the infusion. He says, Dad, we're all going to die. <laughs> I get no respect. Anyway, he, says, he comes, he says this to me, but it's true. We're all going to die. And for some, it's in an accident, or they fall asleep, and it's a surprise. They have a heart attack or something like that, and it's like that. But for others, like for me, there's a medical uh, uh, machine behind it all, and the medical machine says, with the diagnosis and with the prognosis and with the clinical studies and the publications, we know you have about this much time to live, give or take 100%, something like that. Anyway, so, but there's a great blessing to that because what happens is that when that occurs is that you realize that, boy, I've got time. I've got time to, to, to put together what I need to get done. So I think that this is the thing that, re- that, that happened very much with me. And yeah, at first, I didn't like walking through cemeteries. I thought this is an eerie place. Maybe Dracula is going to come out or Frankenstein. I don't know. And so I thought it's a very scary place. But I've come really to like cemeteries because they bring a message that the end is coming. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you join us again tomorrow for part two of this message from my father. Tom Cantor. Today's message, as well as previous messages, are available for download at friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us at 1-800-247-3051 for a copy of today's message. Once again, that number is 1-800-247-3051. Join us again tomorrow at this same time.